for Big Sangha tonight. That may be in part because we're enjoying the company of Will Cabot Zinn again for the second week in a row. Very pleased to welcome him back. Um, how he will be back with us next week. But uh, for tonight, Will is our usual teacher. Will has practiced Vipassana meditation intensively in the U.S. and Burma for over 10 years. He currently lives in the San Francisco Bay Area and teaches regularly at SF Insight, Spirit Rock, and at meditation centers around the country and at Mission Dharma. For eight years, Will taught meditation and awareness practices to incarcerated youth in New York City and in Oakland. In addition to sharing the Dharma, Will is an MFT intern in private practice in San Francisco and Oakland. He has completed four years of teacher training with Jack Cornfield. So welcome once again, Will. Thank you, David. Kind of nice that that silence. Maybe it, maybe it's just a silence of anticipation. I'm not sure. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to attempt again to speak briefly more briefly than last week even, and then have time uh, for us to interact. Um, I just like, I guess I like that form of kind of a little bit of back and forth. Uh, it always feels a little more alive in a way. Um, but I thought I'd uh, just... Uh, introduce a little a little topic, and then uh, we can see what else comes up. So I uh, thought I'd kind of riff a little bit on uh, a pretty. prevalent tendency of mind in human beings, uh, which is a tendency to compare. Um, 
we compare everything. You know? The Buddha talked about uh, three kinds of comparing. Comparing in the sense of saying, uh, feeling oneself uh, better than, less than, or equal to uh, others. And this is something that in the text is called mana, which uh, it's an aspect of mana, which is conceit. The conceit of com- comparing, of holding oneself in a position, a position of a certain kind of ranking, better than, less than, or equal to. So I'm gonna, I'd like to read, I'm going to try to do this while holding this microphone. Uh, a little section uh, from the Sutta Nipata, which is some of the earliest recorded teachings of the Buddha. Uh, just something the Buddha said about, about comparing. One who thinks oneself equal to others or superior, or inferior, for that very reason disputes. But one who is unmoved under those three conditions, for that person the notions equal, superior, and inferior do not exist. I was just, just as a reflection, I think that's interesting, just the way we create those categories. You know, those are not inherent categories. They are mind-made. They're so habitual that we often don't notice that part, that we're actually making better than, less than, equal to. It's such a part of our, the way we live that we can miss that. And I was just, I think it's interesting to look at, sometimes as a reference, at how we relate to nature. Uh, because we tend to have a kind of a I'll say tend, not always. You know, we tend to have more of an intuitive wisdom when it comes to nature than we do when it comes to us. Of course, forgetting that we are nature as well. This is... Somehow, we seem to forget that. We abstract ourselves from nature and we're sort of this other thing. Uh, but we tend not to do this better than, less than, equal to when it when we're in nature, looking at nature. We may evaluate trees. You know, that tree is straighter than that tree. This one is 
gnarled. This one is kind of I'm trying to think of another adjective. <laughs> you get you get the point. Yeah. Uh, we don't tend to say that tree is better than that tree. Somehow, when we're relating to nature, we don't make that. We don't make that category. Uh, you know, and I said this once. Uh, I was teaching. I, can't, I think it was a retreat recently, and somebody came up to me afterward and said, "Actually, that's not true. Uh, we do do that in relation to nature. For example, when you're buying a Christmas tree." <laughs> You say, that Christmas tree is better than that one. And as I was reflecting on this, I always like getting a little correction. You know, it's like, oh, so how do, what do I do with that? Yeah. And I realized, oh, that's because it's my Christmas tree. I've taken it into myself. <laughs> so now it's subject to all these categories that I use to relate to the human realm. My tree, so... How does it look compared to your Christmas tree? I grew up Jewish, so Christmas tree wasn't even a thing, but you get the point. So I think it's just fun... I think it's just fun to play with a moment of not making these categories. Even just looking around for a moment without comparing what you see to anything. It's an overlay that we add. Isn't it beautiful? When you to not be in that in that, whatever that is. <laughs> That's sort of freeing, in a way. Just to even just be with yourself without comparing yourself to anything in this moment. not even to a past version of you or a future version of you, which is two other mental moves that we do. Not comparing to some ideal.
Maybe that's enough of a talk. <laughs> anybody anybody want to say anything? Yeah. The other two comparing. Uh, better than? Oh. Oh, the other two. No. Yeah, I, I think I was just being unclear. I meant it's those three categories. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. That's, in a way, just to feel that for a moment is so useful because then uh, it's a reference point, you know. And in a way, when we're practicing, just being with the breathing, for example, we're practicing exactly that. You know, how do we just feel one breath the way it actually is, you know, not the ultimate yoga breath or the ultimate breath, the deepest breath or the, just this breath. Yeah. So the, it's kind of the beauty of the practice of meditation is that we're actually practicing this every, in every moment of meditating. Because what are we practicing? We're practicing just being with what is here already. Yeah. Without comparing this breath to the next breath. And that has a momentum to it. As we practice it, we actually learn how to be with experience in this kind of new new way. You know? Letting our incessant evaluation function, judging function, take a break. You know, it's it won't don't worry, it won't go away. <laughs> so you may be afraid, oh well then I won't be able to, you know, evaluate anything or no, it'll come back. You know, <laughs> but um, but there is a difference between being kind of just enslaved by this function of mind, you know, uh, than being able to to use kind of discernment. Uh, and actually, there's a difference between the kind of kind of judging and discerning, sort of a, a difference that one can feel. Yeah. Could I speak to the concept of no self, selflessness? Um, well, in that moment, you know, in this moment, you know, when you're when you're here, 
and you're not mm, comparing yourself to an idea. You're not mm, living in a past memory of who are you? Sometimes we think of like, you know, we hear those words, no self, and it's probably one of the things that people get most confused about in Buddhism. No self. Well, there's no self, but I feel like I'm here. Right? I mean, it feels like the maybe the only obvious thing, because I'm having some experience, so I must be here. You know? So it's actually, you know, the Buddha didn't say there's no self. You know, people used to come and ask the Buddha, is there a self? And he wouldn't say anything. Then they'd say, is there no self? And he wouldn't say anything. You know? But he did teach that all conditioned things, which is what we're made up of, are not self. Meaning that, it's, you know, one way of saying it, we're just, it's nature. We're made up of myriad causes and conditions unfolding. You know, uh, like if sometimes you're just being with the breathing, and the breath is breathing, and then you say, "Well, who is breathing?" And you can't find a breather. This is just breathing. Mm-hmm. Or in a moment of feeling, you may notice, "Well, who is the feeler?" And you might say, there's no feeler, there's just feeling. Or in a moment of walking, you know, you just may notice, oh, walking is happening and there's no doer, you know, there's no sense of walker. It doesn't mean you're not here. You know, uh, sometimes people get afraid. Will I disappear if I realize no self? You know, but this selflessness is already the nature of things. So it's not that anything, you don't go anywhere, you know. Um, But when we, I think one of the, well, what are the implications of that, you know, sort of why does it matter? Well, one reason why it matters is because when we take ourselves out of nature and we, we, um, we kind of create the sense of me as this separate entity that needs to be, you know, uh, in relationship to all these other entities. I need to, my position becomes really important. And then everything I do from that place that has a certain quality to it. And here's, I'll just use an example that I use frequently, which is... um, you know, if you see a tree in the drought uh, and it's parched and its leaves have all fallen off and it looks like it's dying, you know, uh, you don't say to the tree, you are a lazy tree. <laughs> you know, you should work harder and, and extract some nutrients from that ground because you're just not doing enough. You know, we just intuitively don't do it. It's a silly example, but we intuitively don't do that because we know when it comes to nature, no, this tree is a result 
of the causes and conditions in which it is existing in this moment. And so if we care about the tree, we might water it, we might shade it, we might fertilize it, you know, we, we would care for it in a certain way. But you can think of the kind of, there's a, almost a matter-of-factness in how we would care for that tree. Because we know, okay, there are conditions, I need to shift the conditions, I'd water it. And, but when it comes to ourselves, the quality of needing to take, has a, it's a very different quality, it's frantic. Because it's really bound up in the sense of, what does this mean about who I am? You know, we don't see ourselves as causes and conditions. All the myriad causes and conditions have come together to have you be here, right in this moment. Some some other thing happened, you wouldn't be here right now. You know, this is significant. And we can affect the causes and conditions that we are and are a part of through our action. That's what meditation is. We are affecting the conditions by, you know, being mindful for one moment and then another. That that has a momentum to it in this realm of nature. But when we are, kind of can hold ourselves as part of nature, it has more of a kind of sustainable, matter-of-fact quality to it as opposed to this frantic search for fixing me or salvation, or, you know, it sort of becomes desperate and punishing, and, you know, we can beat the hell out of ourselves meditating, you know, when it's coming from that kind of place. So it's useful to have this as a frame, but also through the practice, we gain insight into the selfless nature of experience. You know, we start to see in a very first-hand way that, oh, Am I choosing the sensations that arise in my body? No. They arise due to conditions. Are you choosing the thoughts that are popping into your head right now? No. They are arising also due to conditions. Some of them are very conditioned in there. You know, even all the way towards the deepest beliefs you hold about who you are. Those are also conditioned sometimes from very early on. Is that... Yeah, it gets that. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. So the question is, you know, I'm talking about how we don't choose what thoughts are arising, but what about what's what about taking responsibility for our thoughts? Is that what and directing our thoughts and mm-hmm.
sure. Yeah, and I think you're, what you're saying is is true. You know, we can condition certain patterns of thought, and there are practices in Buddhism which are basically about doing that, like loving kindness practice. You know, so we we can affect the conditions of our mind. If you, you know, if you wake up every day and you wish all may all beings be happy, you know, for an hour, uh, chances are that thought will arise more in your mind stream. Yeah, so that's absolutely true. Um, I think I'm sort of just speaking to that when we're not consciously doing that, we get all kinds of thoughts that come in. A lot of them are, maybe we could call them unwelcome visitors. You know? So in a way, I think, our, what's our responsibility? If we're talking about responsibility, in a way the responsibility is to see them. You know, because if we can't prevent them from arising, which, you know, we can't most of the time. Uh, the question is, what do we do with them? You know, and you may have a million, you know, judgmental thoughts about yourself or others, you know. And there is a possibility through practice and cultivation of awareness of being able to see these judgments or evaluations better than, less than, and equal to as a kind of, you can see them arising and coloring like a filter in front of awareness, in front of, you know, like a filter in the mind. And to actually see through them, you know, you can actually see the person in front of you through the filter. It's because with awareness, that filter can just, it can be thin, you know. Whereas when we're not seeing with awareness, it's just reality. It becomes the reality that we live in. And then it's, um, then we're just living in in that world for a while until there's a new world gets created. Does that speak to what you're, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So he was asking about the he could see why the comparing the better than and less than is sort of uh, might create some suffering and separation and you know. Uh, but what about the equal to? Yeah, isn't that a fascinating? I just think that's a fascinating thing that's added there. You know, it's sort of, and I think it's sort of. Uh, like hints at the Buddha's, you know, part of the Buddha's great genius, you know, that he's speaking to even holding this conceit of it's still comparing. Oh, we're equal. Well, what is that? That's also a mental move. You're creating this notion of equality. Well, how is it to look around without even equal? You know? And I'm not going to give an answer to that. You know, but I think that's a really, that's like kind of a fruitful, interesting exploration. Because there is something, at least in my experience, that even when that kind of comparing is on, there's another opening, a kind of, another dimension that sort of can be felt. Um, 
we're letting go of this, of a certain kind of a fixed I, you know? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So the question was about discernment and how do you recognize that? How do you recognize when it... Yeah, how does one recognize discernment versus judgment? Um, I think through experience. <laughs> you know, just... And I... You know, when we're really paying attention... So sometimes we're afraid when we get into any kind of new practice or practice that we're into, we start getting afraid of kind of getting our hands dirty. Okay, now I'm doing meditation and the Buddhist thing. I'm not supposed to judge people anymore, you know? So, but we're, let's be honest, judging all the time. So in a way, it's just to be, to include that in your practice. So just to watch yourself judging. And then when you really are familiar with your that kind of critical judging, then when something different happens, you'll start to notice the different quality of it. You know? Because you're also discerning a lot. But it, they get very jumbled. Everything gets jumbled when we're not familiar with the territory. So it's really a kind of a sensitivity I think the sensitivity is something that we refine as we spend more time with ourselves, you know, and in all these different areas. You know, the kind of sensitivity, you know, if you're new at anything, you know, say if you go into, you know, you go into the, the wilderness or something and you, you're not familiar with that area at all, you're not sensitive to what anything means there. You know, like, what does it mean when the clouds are like this? What does it mean when the the birds are making this sound? It doesn't... So you don't know what's dangerous and what's kind of... It's just disorienting. You know, but if you're, a, you know, indigenous to that area, it'd be very different. Because you've spent so much time there. You know, you kind of feel the... It, everything has a meaning, in a way. So... It's like that with our own bodies and minds, I think. So to notice that subtle difference. So how do I notice the difference between my, just to use another example, kind of my kind of genuine desire and a kind of grasping after something? There's a difference. You know, how do I know when it's my intu- when it's kind of intuition, that kind of gut feeling, or when it's craving? Again, that's something that we need to learn about through being with both. Yeah. So don't be afraid to crave. You know, just because it's the cause of suffering doesn't mean we're not doing it all the time. So let's just be honest, you know, and spend some time with it so we can learn about it. Because that's the only way to get free of anything is by really learning about it. So get to know your judging, you know, and... Um, you know the story about one of these, uh, one of the well-known teachers at IMS, the Insight Meditation Society, who used to sit in the dining room. This is a story I heard. Used to sit in the dining room, looking out at the kind of lunch line, and when he was on retreat, 
always sat in the same spot, kind of looking out. You know, a lot of times on retreat, people are looking into their bowl of food and they're looking at their tofu and their brown rice. So he, well, he's always looking. And somebody asked him once, "What are you doing when you're sitting there looking at the room during lunch all the time?" And he said, "Oh, I'm judging." <laughs> You know, but there's this kind of lightness. Like he was just enjoying watching the mind create all of this stuff. You know, and it's just when when we get familiar enough with it, it's kind of funny because you know we don't know anything, but we make up all this stuff like we know. You know, and we, I mean, even just in very simple situations, I was. I was driving, this was like a couple months ago, with my wife, who were leaving Target, the store. And uh, there was a car coming this way, and somebody behind me honked. And the person driving across, you know, looked at me and started yelling and, you know, giving me the finger. And I, I had become this something to this person, from the person behind me honking, you know. And it was just so interesting to see, wow... That's how it happens all the time. You know, we don't know. You know, and this is another thing is just this judging and, you know, opinions. We have so many opinions that we believe just, we attach to views and opinions. The Buddha talked about this as one of the areas that we cling to. We cling to views and opinions. And a lot of these views and opinions, we don't know. You know, but we kind of come to think we really know, you know. And um, do you ever see the movie The Big Lebowski? Yeah. Yeah, good. That's a great movie. Well, you know, I think of, when in relation to this, I think of that scene where the dude is with Lebowski and, and, he's, and Lebowski's insulting him. For those of you who just, you get the point. You know, he's insulting him and the dude looks at him and he says, that's just like your opinion, man. <laughs> That's like a good refrain to hold in your mind, you know? Like a little dharma there. That's just like your... You can say it to yourself. That's just like your opinion, man. You know? And, um... I don't know. It's just another very fruitful area to get familiar with. So I'll read a little something from the same section of the Sutta Nipata about uh, grasping onto views and opinions. For one who is free from views, there are no ties. For one who is delivered by understanding, there are no follies. But those who grasp after views and philosophical opinions, they wander about in the world, annoying people. <laughs> I didn't make it up. Um, yeah, in the back.
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. That's another comparing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I think that's beautifully said, and I completely agree with you. You know, it's a, it's such a trap of all of these things to, you know, then we're holding up another ideal to compare. I shouldn't be comparing so much, you know. Uh, it means something about me. Um, but you're right, it's just comparing, and it's a natural function of mind. Um, but it's also useful to become aware of it so that it's not just the reality that we're living stuck in. Yeah. Thank you for that. Uh, in the back over here. What? Hear a, a Dharma rap? Who told you about that? <laughs> Howie? <laughs> How he's bad. <laughs> Don't compare yourself to him. <laughs> Don't compare myself to <laughs> Nothing else is bad, but how he's bad. <laughs> no, no, no rapping tonight. Huh? <laughs> no samples. No samples, yeah. <laughs> Remix, yeah. <laughs> I'll come back and rap for you another time, yeah. So we have just about a, a minute left. Is oh, <laughs> thirty seconds, yeah. Uh, yeah. Why is it so difficult for us to be in the present as human beings? I have no idea. I don't know. It constantly amazes me. You know? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But that's a great... Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know how it got that way. (laughs) But, But I think... One, luckily, we can learn how to be here, you know, and maybe we have, you know, lifetimes, if you go in for that, of conditioning to be lost in the, but, you know, it's, this practice is really not just a practice, it's a way, you know, and I really feel like it's a learning a new way of being, and it's a way that's here. You know, where we live here. You know, more. (laughs) You know, actually, and I think part of it is just coming to the point where we can see that we actually are always here. 
even when it seems like we're not, we are. You know, and it takes a while to, because actually sometimes it feels like, actually, no, we're not here. <laughs> it's just a movement of mind. It's okay to get lost in thought. That's fine. But it sure is nice to be here. You know, even when things are difficult, uh, they're more manageable. You know, it's, we think that, that we'll manage them better if we're, you know, strategizing in this kind of repetitive thinking. Uh, but actually, it's not true. Things are much, we see more clearly, we can respond to what's happening much better when we're here. It's, we're more protected. Sometimes we'll think, oh, I'll be more protective if I figure out everything that's going to happen in advance. But it's not true. It's delusion. We're more protected when we're present and we can respond to what's actually happening. So I think there's two aspects. One is seeing through the delusion that keeps us investing our kind of energy in, this, in these patterns of being not here. When we see more clearly that that actually does not lead to happiness, our natural intelligence helps us start to land here more our energy begins to get more invested in here because we believe in it, not just as an idea. We all know, oh yeah, I read that, you know, that makes sense. But like our organism, no, oh no. Uh, so I'm very hopeful about that. It might take us a few millennia, you know, <laughs> but we're going to have to stop for this evening. I wish we could continue. This is fun. Um, are there closing announcements that someone's going to make? Yeah, David. And then we'll dedicate the merit and we'll have a little formal closing. Yeah, stick around for a few minutes because Will's going to dedicate merit. Um, and as a preface to that, I just want to say that um, that um, there are causes and conditions that bring us all here. And there are causes and conditions that create the merit of our practice tonight. That includes your um, intention and your practice. And we come together as Sangha because we support each other in being here. And it is nice. Um, unfortunately, because we live in San Francisco, we have to rent space to do that. So coming together as Sangha um, involves paying rent, and that's part of our um, Donna offering every week. So this is just a reminder that the basket is over there. Um, help us pay rent so we can continue the causes and conditions of coming together. Another cause and condition of coming together is Will freely offering the teachings as our teachers have for 2,600 years. It's a beautiful tradition of freely offering teachings. And the community has always supported our teachings. That's a cause and condition of carrying on the Donna. So that is another part of our Donna practice. Um, and I encourage you to reflect on that tonight. And one other brief Donna practice um, that a few people might be willing to offer tonight is we have a big sangha and we might need a little help putting away chairs and cushions um, after sangha. If a few people could stick around and help us with that, that would be great. So thank you, Will, for the past two weeks. Thank you. And thanks to all of you as well. It's been, um, it's been really nice being here, and I hope that it's been useful to you in some way. Um, and 
may you continue your practice in whatever form. And uh, I think it's really worthy, and, uh, beneficial, uh, probably for you yourselves and also for others. You know, for the people you come into contact with, live with, or interact with, argue with. <laughs> so let's dedicate the merit for a moment. May the merits of our practice here this evening, our collective energy and intention, and our willingness to look deeply into our own experience and to see things as they are, not as we imagine them to be or want them to be. And may this serve for the welfare and the benefit of all beings everywhere. May all beings be happy. May all beings be peaceful. May all beings be free. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.